Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that this is a moment, Lord, where we are on a collision course where the real you and the real us collide. And God, we're able to collide. We're able to meet with you. God, we're able to have an encounter with your presence. And we're able to have an encounter with your truth. God, your word says, God, that you are looking for those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we don't want to just pursue your presence. God, we also want to pursue your truth. Holy Spirit, would you open up our eyes, open up our hearts to hear from you today. I was reminded recently of the word of God in Acts. It says, when Lydia, it says about Lydia, it says, and the Lord opened up her heart that she might hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Father, would you open up our hearts this morning, God? Everything that we know how to do, Lord, we open up our hearts, God, but we need a sovereign, uh, just touch of your grace to open up our hearts so that we can see what you desire for us to see today, Lord. We bless you, we love you, and we pray, God, that you would have your way in our midst. In Jesus' name, God's people said amen. You may be seated. So glad that you are here this morning. Uh, I. Uh, like you, it's been a little wet uh, the last 24 hours, I guess, and it's going to be for a little bit longer, but I'm glad that you braved the weather to come and uh, just so excited to be with you. I just want to thank Pastor Eddie and Beth, who uh, obviously have sort of coordinated some of this while your pastor is out on sabbatical. Um, and so I'm just grateful to them. I, I tried to encourage Eddie uh, to not set the bar too high. Uh, and, uh, but I know that he set it pretty high, so I'm going to do my best today to give us a word of the Lord. And so one of the things that uh, I just want to say, too, just to honor them, Eddie and Beth have made a tremendous, tremendous impact on our life the last 25 years, uh, both discipled myself and my wife. And so uh, just extremely, extremely grateful for them. Like uh, they said earlier, you know, I am the pastor of Heritage Church in Lake City, Florida. And, and just like um, you may have never stopped there many times, but at least you have probably been through there. Lake City is right where I-75 and I-10 sort of meet. And so you probably at least have stopped at Chick-fil-A, God's place, and, and got something there and then uh, moved on th throughout your way. But um, so honored to be the pastor at Heritage Church for the last 15 years. Uh, been married for 24 years to a beautiful woman named Tara. Have two daughters, both 17 and 14. So pray for me. 
We are in the midst. You never thought that you would be like, you know, you're never satisfied in whatever season you're in, right? You're like in the twos, terrible twos. You're like, man, I can't wait till they can start school and we get a little, I can't wait till this. And now we're, we're, we're on the cusp of uh, one graduating. And then I'm like, I can't wait to go back to when they were two again. And so uh, it's one of those moments. And so, but they're good kids and we love them. And I'm um, sorry they couldn't be here with us today. So let's just pray. Jesus, help us. God, help us to encounter your word today, Lord. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. Sometimes I end up talking really fast. So you can just wave your hand, tell me to slow down, whatever the case may be. Uh, But uh, have you ever heard this statement before that familiarity oftentimes breeds contempt? I know it's probably true in my life, and I would be willing to bet that in a room this size that it's probably true in your life as well, but I wonder if it's not oftentimes true of the Christmas story, and true of not only the Christmas story, but Easter, right? So I've heard that story for the last 25 years of being, uh, or walking with God, and, but he, for the first time, I actually looked up what it meant, and here's what it means. It means an extensive knowledge or of close association with someone or something it leads to a loss of respect of it. And it sort of stepped on my toes a little bit, right? Because I know that I, for the last 20-something years, I've been teaching on, about Christmas. I've been teaching, whether in student ministries or in uh, big church, whatever you call it, um, you know, been teaching on Christmas and Easter. And two of the most challenging messages that pastors have is Christmas morning or Christmas messages and Easter. Why? Because we have to try to repackage what everybody else has said, what, heard that, you follow me? And, and I wonder if somehow, some way, we haven't really lost the awe of the, and the respect and the reverence of the Christ child coming to earth to save me, who is a radical sinner in need of God's grace. That should never get old. I should never lose respect for what Christ came and, di- and did for us. Amen? And then not only that, listen, the other, other pivotal, pivotal moment in history is Easter. And sometimes we're like, yeah, heard that. He died on the cross and he, he, he was buried and then he rose again and let's go home. And, and we've sort of lost the awe and respect. So I want for the next few mo- minutes for you to pretend that you haven't heard the Christmas story. Just amnesia. All right? And you'll get it right back as you leave here. I want you to pretend for just a few moments that you haven't heard it because it really is the most miraculous story that you've ever heard. And I know last week, Eddie did a good job of teaching on Mary and Joseph. And I'm going to take a different twist today. There's so many different characters. One of the things I love to do when I uh, read through the Christmas story every year is to, is to look at it through the lens of different characters in the plot, right? I mean, you have Joseph, whose world was turned upside down. You have Mary, who you can't even imagine, you know? I mean, I, I spoke at our youth ministries a couple weeks ago. Just think about it. Everyone dreams of that day of being married and betrothed, right? And, and in the midst of being betrothed to the man that she loved, Joseph, boom, she's pregnant, world turned upside down, right? So, so when you begin to look at it through their lens, one of the things I love to do when I read the Word of God, I love, love, love the Word of God, is this, is to look at it as though you are in real time with them. We look at it and we look at the characters and we're like, Psh, how, how can Peter deny Christ after all the miracles? How, how, how could the children of Israel see the parting of the Red Sea? And just moments, not even moments, days later, 
They're, they're, they have this water issue, and they're, and they're wondering where God is. But if we put ourselves in real time, we will acknowledge and we will begin to understand that we are the same way. Right now, we're full of faith and we're excited and expecting that God's going to say something to us this morning. And sometimes by Monday afternoon or sometimes maybe even by the time you get home, right? Or the red light doesn't turn when you think it should. You're like, God, where are you? <laughs> so I want to I talk through the Christmas story this morning through the, the lens of King Herod and how we can learn and grow from his weakness. It's one of the things that Pastor Eddie has always taught me and taught us, and Beth as well, is that you can not just learn what to do from those who you follow, but also what not to do. Amen? And so let's look. I'm just going to read a couple passages and then we'll look at them together. Matthew chapter 2, verse 3 reads, When Herod the king heard this, well, what did he hear? What did he hear, right? He, he heard the wise men came to town and heard it, and they were in search, right? They were in search for the quote-unquote king of the Jews who was born. Well, this struck a chord. This struck a chord in him because guess what? He was the king of the Jews. And we'll get to this in a moment. That, listen, you, it, it, there's going to be conflict in my life and in your life when there's two kings. There's going to be conflict in my life and in your life when there's two kings. Let me continue. He was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 8, it reads, And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. Liar, liar, pants on, pants on fire. <laughs> he is lying through his teeth. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, remember what happens after they present gifts. The angel of the Lord appears to the wise men and says, hey, don't go back that way. There's so much supernatural activity in the protection of the Son of God. As he, I mean, when it comes to Joseph, when it comes to Mary, when it comes to the wise men, and, 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 and orchestrating and leading them throughout that whole process. He had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from wise men. So let's unpack a few things, okay? Let's unpack a few things from King Herod. And uh, it's not gonna, it, it's gonna be rough at times, but then it's gonna get better at times, and then guess what, we're gonna end well, okay? So the first thing we see through the life of Herod, especially through the Christmas story, is this, we see what happens when we feed the beast. We, we, we see what happens when we feed this, this thing called pride in our life. And, and, and I, if I seem a little excited, it's just simple because we were in the prayer room earlier and, and, uh, and I don't know who it was. I, I don't know all their names, but someone just came over and they began to pray over me and, and, and just believed that I had a word that, that one of the things that's going to happen today is that, is that the Lord was going to uh, help us get rid of some self-centeredness in our life. And what happens when men and women walk in pride and self-centeredness? And that's my whole message, okay? 
I don't know about you, but there's elements of my life where I am self-centered. I'm not God-centered. I'm not Christ-centered. I'm self-centered. It's all about me and what's happening in my life. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Told you, sometimes you got to rein me in. See what happens when we feed the beast. First Peter speaks of the enemy being like a roaring lion. Right? First Peter chapter 5. So I remember when I was a kid, and it was around New Year's time, I believe, and, and uh, my cousins came down from Georgia. Me and my cousin Scott were really tight, and uh, good friends, still are, but uh, he lives far away, and, and I live here, or Lake City, but uh, we were at my grandma's house, and, and we were outside playing. We were always doing something outside, and so unlike today uh, with kids, but anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, and we, we, we discovered this, this beautiful, this little cat. And we, we immediately, you know, loved this little cat. We began to feed him. And we named him Tiger. All right. And you probably know the rest of the story. It was my grandma's cat for the next decade. Because when you feed a cat, guess what? It's not going anywhere. All right. And listen, when we feed the beast... When we feed the lion, which is pride in an inherited situation here, man, that thing just continues, as we'll see in a few moments, to intensify. Listen, there's a reason why when you go to a zoo, there's signs everywhere that says, do not feed the animals. We should have a big sign in our house. We should have a big sign in our cars that says, do not feed pride. Do not feed self-centered. Do not feed your ego. Everybody all right? See, see, the beast that he's dealing with here is pride. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. He said, pride leads to every other vice. I believe it is the book of James that says where where envy and self-seeking are, every evil thing follows. It opens the door to access for the enemy to come into our life and we don't even understand the ramifications of what it has on our life when we constantly, consistently just live for ourselves. Here's the challenging thing about pride. Yes, it leads to every other vice, but pride is also elusive. It's really hard to notice. It's really, really hard to recognize in yourself, but it's really, really easy to recognize in others. But it's really hard for us to see. Other people see it. And sometimes we have blind spots in our life where we need the people of God to help us with those But it's elusive. It's hard to catch. And not only that, it has many, many different faces. There's so many different facets. There's so many different faces to pride. You have the pride of superiority. Bouncing around, needing to feel superior to everyone else. So you are up here, no pun intended. You are up here and everyone else is down here. In whatever way, you have to make sure that that's the, uh, the, the way things stay. And you will leverage situations. You will leverage circumstances just so that you're superior. Because we can't live in a world where we're not number one. Right? But then you also have this element of like the, the, the pride of inferiority. 
where we compare ourselves to others and we feel like we're less than everyone else. Perhaps that's where maybe most of us land, especially in the social media craze that we live in. We just scroll, we mindlessly scroll, and we wonder why my life is not not like everyone else's. So so we deal with this level of pride, this level of self-centeredness, whether it's through superiority or inferiority in our life. It's like the difference between Tigger and Eeyore. All right, we're bouncing around, being the center of attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Or we're like Eeyore. Nobody cares about me, right? I'm more like Eeyore. I'll just be honest. I, I may be full of energy on a Sunday morning, but I, listen, you're not going to believe it. I am quiet and shy. 100%. You can ask anybody in our church. You can ask anybody in our town. Um, I've lived there my whole life other than a few years moving to Atlanta to help Eddie and Beth plant a church and went to uh, the Florida State University. And so, sorry, I know I'm a little bit south of Gainesville. I get it. Um, but, uh, but, but went there for a few years. And so I am. I'm, I'm, but but I'm, I'm more on this end of, of being an Eeyore. But here's the challenge for me, and also I believe the challenge of you, for you, whether you come out underneath the whole idea of superiority or inferiority, what happens in our life is both of those emphasis are on ourselves. Both of them. And oftentimes we look through the lens of our life and it's just like a reflective mirror back on us. And that's not the plan of God for our life once we come, come to know Christ. Tim Keller, who I'm a big fan of, says this in his book, Self-Forgetfulness. Humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. What would my life look like if I begin to think about other people like the Christ child did, more than I think about myself. What would your life look like? What would this church look like if we actually lived out what we believe and that we're called to be people that not think of ourselves less, but think less, I'm sorry, I messed that up. But it's about, but it's thinking about yourself less. What would our life look like if we just did that? And to be honest with you, when you look at the scriptures, when I look at the scriptures, here is an isolated moment here in the, in, the, in the Christmas story, but Herod's not the only one in the scriptures that dealt with self-centeredness. You see it also in the life of Haman, right? I mean, my goodness, I just got through teaching through, I love teaching through books of the Bible, okay? And so that's what we do at our church for the most part. And so we um, just got through teaching through the book of Esther. And, and, and I was amazed by Mordecai and Esther and Mordecai's response. You don't know if you're born for a time such as this. And all of those types of, of phrases that are, that are used in the book of Esther. And so it, it's such an incredible plot. God's name's not even mentioned in the whole book. Only book in the Bible where you don't see God's name mentioned, but yet you see his hand. So if you're in a moment or season of your life right now, where you're like, God, where are you? I don't see your name. I don't see your hand. I don't see what's happening. Listen, he's moving. He's working in your life, even when you don't see it, just like he was in the life of Esther and Mordecai and the Jews. More on that in a few moments. But the person who struck, struck out me, sort of struck, struck me this time was a guy by the name of Haman who was, who was so full of pride. And his pride led to arrogance, and his arrogance led to a fixation on one individual. You ever ha- have that happen? 
And he couldn't get this guy by the name of Mordecai, who was a Jew, who would not bow down to him because he was second in command to King Ahasuerus. And he said, none of this glory, none of this stuff means anything to me. He did. He came back pouting. If this guy Mordecai doesn't bow down to me. You have hair, you have pride. You have Haman, you have pride. You have Pharaoh, you have pride. We, we could keep going all, and there's a theme through those that we'll get to here in just a few moments. But I want us to see real quick that sort of where pride leads Haman. Pride leads Haman to being hanged on a gallow outside of his home that was originally fixed for Mordecai. God's always moving even when you don't see it. It led Herod to where even, you got to get this, even on his deathbed, this guy was so prideful, so arrogant, so self-centered that even on his deathbed, he ordered the execution of some of his sons because he feared losing the throne to them. He was known for executing his sons. He was known for executing his wives. He was known for executing anyone. And we'll get to it in a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyone that he felt threatened his rule, and his reign. James 1.15 said, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And pride always leads. Sin always leads to death. And there are times and there are seasons in our life where you're like Mordecai, and you're like, oh, I'm getting away with this. I'm, I'm getting away with this. You ever been there? You're like, you're getting, but listen, sin always leads to death. Pride always leads to death. Mordecai was called in to King Ahasuerus and Esther, and he believes, he, believe, he goes home ecstatic, full of joy, because he believes that the celebration that's being planned is all about him. He's like, man, this is awesome. He thinks he's getting away with this, this, this plot to annihilate and destroy all the Jewish people. See, that kind of pride and that kind of anger, it, sooner or later, that kind of pride, that kind of anger, it's going to make its way out. It's going to make its way out. I have two kids, as I told you, and I obviously do it myself as well, so I'm not throwing them under the bridge. But have you ever just, uh, you hate taking out the trash? And it, it gets full, and so like you just keep pushing it down? And then you really don't want to take it out, so then you like put your foot on it, and then you really get it down because you just don't want to take out the trash. But I'm going to tell you, listen, sooner or later, you're going to have to take out the trash. See, that's what we do in our life with pride. That's what we do is we, is we just stuff, man. We just keep burying stuff. We keep burying stuff, and we just keep pushing it down. And we're like, I'm, I'm not dealing with this now. I'm not dealing with this now. And sooner or later, because God loves us, because Hebrews says that he disciplines those who he loves. Amen. He chastens those whom he loves. Sooner or later, he allows this, these things to spill over in our life. And sooner or later, friends, it, it will spill out in our life. It did for Haman. It did for Herod. 
and it will for us. Second thing that we see is not only that we see what happens when we feed the beast, but we also see this, that pride oftentimes, or sin included in that, pride oftentimes intensifies the more we feed it. I would love to tell you that that little cat didn't grow the more you fed it, but it did. Tiger. I would love to tell you that if you feed a lion that it's just going to go away and be like, okay, I'm not coming back for more. <laughs> right? But the reality is, is that the more we feed our flesh, the more we feed pride, the more this thing intensifies. And so if you look at those three verses that I read, I think verse 3, verse 8, and verse 16, you will see a es- sort of a, an acceleration or escalation of pride in his life. It began with this. I want you to see this. It intensified for him. Hair went from being disturbed. It just means to be, here's what it means in a Greek. It means to be agitated. You ever been there? <laughs> you ever been anxious? That's what it means. Have you ever had a moment or a situation in your life strike you with fear or dread? That's where he was. So he just started out in a small place. He started out just being agitated. He started out just being disturbed. Something just not quite sitting right with him. You mean, I don't quite know how to think about this. That There's another king that's been already proclaimed king of the Jews, and it's just a baby. It went from being disturbed to being deceptive, to being destructive. Because it always intensifies. It doesn't get weaker, it actually gets stronger. I'm a huge believer in the reality in my life and in yours, that whatever we feed grows and whatever we starve dies. And man, do I need God's grace to help me to not feed my flesh. Man, do I need God's grace to help me to not feed my pride. Man, do I need God's grace to just help me to walk in the Spirit so that Galatians 5, 16 says, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why do we want to walk in the Spirit? So that we will be Spirit-led, driven people who are producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And this battle is going on in our life every single day. And, it, and it's centered around whether or not I'm going to be God-centered or self-centered. But this thing intensifies for him at a, a rapid pace. Now, it's not always a rapid pace for us. Right? It just, there's it, a song that happens with casting crowns. I think they call it, it's a slow fade right for us and so the enemy is good at that sort of lulling us as the people of God to sleep this past week because I read through the Bible every year and, and, and I'm reading in Judges and about Samson Samson was just sort of lulled to sleep over a series of events in his life right but he was just agitated so here, here's a great question Maybe. Why would fear and dread set in because a baby was born in Bethlehem? Why, why would it cause that much agitation? I mean, babies are born every day, and I've, I don't think I've ever been agitated about a baby being born. It's like life-giving, right? It's like joyful. 
It's like ecstatic that this new life has come into the world. But not for this guy. This guy is so arrogant. This guy is so prideful. He is so self-centered that he gets angry and agitated because a baby was born. Here's why I believe this happens. Is, is fear and dread set in for Herod because he immediately began to see Jesus as a rival. He immediately began to see Jesus as a rival. Herod refused to live in a world where he was not on top. Just wasn't going to do it. I, just, just, just real quick, like his wives, and I've already mentioned it because I get ahead of myself, his wives, his babies... His kids, he killed because of conspiracy, because of anger, because of frustration, because he had to be on top. So much so he hated this idea of there being a king born of the Jews, the Christ child, that he said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill every baby under the age of two. And, and there's this ravenous, this, this murderous spirit that oftentimes is all throughout Scripture. It's not just with Herod. We'll get to that here in just a few moments. But you see it right here. He, he had to be on top. Remember what I said? When you find him, come, come, come tell me so I can come and worship him too. Man, he was just walking in areas not just of self-deception but deceiving others. Here, here, here's the problem with us is that when we are being deceived, the problem is we don't know that we're being deceived. It's like we can't see it. We need the, 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 the ability to walk in greater levels of discernment with the body of Christ. Listen, a Jewish historian back in that day, Josephus, said this. He struggled to evaluate the inconsistency of Herod between his benevolence and his brutality. Once you see this, the, the level of deception, Herod was a mass murderer that came across as a sincere worshiper. He, he was a mass murderer that came across as a sincere worshiper. And yes, the reality is, is that people can really be that smooth. And yes, people can really lack that level of discernment. The wise men were like, okay. They're like, no problem. They were probably just enthralled. They were probably amazed because one thing that Herod was known for is for the elaborate buildings and all the stuff. Still to this day, the architecture and the things that he built, he's still known for because he wanted to make a name for himself. He wanted everyone to remember that he was the king of the Jews and his name was King Herod. So he was gonna build, build, he was gonna do everything he possibly could to remember that he was on top. Man, he, he just deceived the wise man and, and even though he was a mass murderer, came across as a sincere worshiper. This is where I'm on. Because I, I've seen it happen in our church. I've seen it happen in churches across the board. Every pastor I talk to, this is not something that just happens in the world, but this is also stuff that happens in the church. Amen. Where, where people just begin to walk in self-centeredness. Guess what? Coming to church is not about you. Come on. Come on. 
And I love that I can come here and say that because, you know what, I can leave after this, right? But, but coming to church is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. All right? We're not. It's about him. And so we see this level of deception that happens in the church because we come thinking that church is about us. That's why I love singing the songs that we sang this morning. Listen, even worship music has become more about us than it has about him. Mark Rutland says this. He said in his transition from serving in Africa to a megachurch in Africa, um, from serving in Africa to a megachurch in America, he said it was easy to see the deception in Africa because everyone that was de deceivers wore feathers. And here he says they wear disguises, but they all wear the same suits. He said you can't tell them apart. In Africa, it was easy to tell them apart because they would come in with all of this entourage with them. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we honestly look at the scriptures, you see the New Testament writers, not occasionally, friends, not occasionally, consistently warn the church about deception, warn the church about, about, about this kind of stuff happening even within the church. It's not just Haman. It, but, but listen, Herod manipulated and attempted to control the wise man, the situation with the king of the Jews being born. Haman manipulated King Ahasuerus. You, you read back through that text. And King Ahasuerus never mentioned their names. He just said a group of people. See, when we, don't, when we fail to see and sit down with people and really get to know them and really get to know their name, then people can just become problems. But when you're able to sit down with people and see people as people, people oftentimes cease to be problems and we just can see, hey, we just need to work through some things. Amen? Amen. Haman manipulated King Ahasuerus. Ahab and Jezebel manipulated and killed to get Naboth's vineyard. That's the Old Testament when there's so much more. Reading this week, obviously Delilah manipulated and controlled Samson and his, his deception, I mean, his, his uh, uh, self-awareness, man, it was just out the window, right? Amen. When you look in Acts chapter 8, Peter, God was moving. It was radical stuff happening. Revival was happening everywhere they went. And there was a guy by the name of Simon who was once a time a magician, a sorcerer began to walk with God, but he began to say some things to Peter because he saw the gifts of the Spirit in operation. He saw the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and he saw that as a sign of success and not surrender. He saw that as a sign of success and not surrender. He says, wow, I can get my old life back. Come on. I can get my old life back. Give me that power too. Peter knew real quick. He said, hey, buddy, you, you, it's almost like what Jesus told Peter years before. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And, and he told Simon, hey, buddy, listen, listen, you, you got it all wrong. You don't buy the gift of God. You surrender to God, and his gifts flow through us. Now, I want you to see this. He said, actually, what's happening to you, Simon, is that you're bitter. 
And there's a gall of bitterness in you. There's a lot of bitterness in you, and you need to get that right. I love Peter's boldness. See, we don't have enough boldness in the church anymore. We're tiptoeing around most of the time, trying to make sure that everybody is okay and their needs are met, and we're not speaking and declaring the truth of the Word of God, that there are times in our life where we're bitter. There's times in our life where we're angry. There's times in our life where we're sinful, and we need God to come in our life and transform us. I don't know what happened to Simon that day. He might have went home like Eeyore and said, well, I guess this isn't for me. Or maybe he just said, you know what? You're right. We don't know the rest of the story fully. We hope that those seeds that were planted sprung up and created a harvest of righteousness. Acts 16, though, Paul's just going throughout his ministry. And he becomes agitated. <laughs> There's an agitated that can lead to life. You know that? There's an agitation. There's a level of discernment. There's a level of, ah, uh, something's just not right. My wife has it. I don't have it. All right? I'm oblivious oftentimes. I'm just like, you feel that? No. Nope. <laughs> Looks good to me. You know, whatever. She's like, I wouldn't eat that. Obviously, she's talking about other things. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God, God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Now, here's the thing about deception. Because Herod did it. The slave woman did it. And I'm speaking of her being this demoniac, okay? Is that she's saying all the right things. See, here's the reality, friends. Listen, it's true. What she says is true. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Man, that's true. Paul was a servant of God, and he was proclaiming to them the way, the truth, and the life. But he said, and here's what I love what he did too. He didn't just, whoosh. we need to be patient. We need to be loving. We need to be kind with people. He waited a few days. She kept following, doing the same things. And finally, he just said, you know what? I've had enough of this. You're, you're becoming too much of the distraction here. Whoosh. Follow me? He said, I command you to come out of her in Jesus' name. And the scripture says, and the spirit came out of her that very hour. Man, they oftentimes will say the right thing, but it's with the wrong motives. And as the people of God, we need, I need discernment in my life. Amen. Listen, I, I understand church. I've been going to church my whole life, been a pastor for 15 years. And, and, and I understand that people can put their face on, man. We can, we can, we can lather it up. That's what Jezebel did. Even, listen, listen, even at her deathbed, she had to make everything look pretty. Listen, listen, the eunuchs were coming to take her out, right? They were coming, they were coming to town to take her out. And she puts on makeup, hopefully thinking that she can disguise herself one more time. Listen, listen, church should be the place where we can take it, the mask off. Amen. 
Church should be the place where we could take it off. Uh, a good brother, a good friend, a good sister in Christ, whatever the case may be, it should be a place. You should have a place where you can take the mask off. It's the only reason I love Eddie so much. And he knows everything about me. The good, the bad, the ugly. You ever seen that shirt? Like the good, Florida State, the bad, Miami, and the ugly, Florida. Anyway, I'm just kidding. The good, and he knows everything about me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he still says like, hey, I got this church I want you to go to preach at. I mean, they, they still choose us. They still believe in us. Pastor L.A. Jordan, the same way, he knows everything about me, but yet he still just finds a way to say, hey, you're going to make it. You're, you're doing the right thing. Go for it. Here's the thing. Recognizing deception is hard. But as the body of Christ, it's got to be something that we have to do. The wise men didn't do it. Now, when they needed supernatural ability to end up helping them not go back to tell them, yeah, this is him, and guess what's... This is right where he's at. Third thing is this. I'm coming. Pride often binds us. Oh, I'm sorry. Pride often blinds us to the impact that we have on others. Pride often blinds us to the impact we have on others. Herod was known, as I mentioned, for many feats, especially as a builder. But he was most remembered for how he treated people. It's funny, right? Because we, we, we want to leave some sign of significance in our life. We want to live a life of significance. We want to have something that's measured. Point to, I did that. I built that. I whatever. I, that's all great and that's all wonderful. But listen, I'll be honest with you. Listen, I'm not trying to rain on your parade. But it's all going to be burned up. I mean, it's not going to be here. Amen. What we're going to be remembered for is how we honored God and how we treated people. Amen. How we honored God and how we treated people. And Herod miserably failed at that. He built everything else. He built an empire on fear. An empire. But he didn't love God and he didn't love people. And I believe that's what the New Testament says the great commandment is, right? To love God and love people. To build your life, as we just sang about, upon the foundation of loving God and loving people. We struggle with that. But think about the impact that he has on the people there. Matthew 2, 3. I didn't see this to this week. I've read through this a ton of times, just like you have. It says, when, king, when, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. So the impact that he was having on the people around him is that they were troubled. Listen, all Jerusalem was not troubled because Jesus was born, because a baby was born. They didn't understand the significance of that. They were troubled because they knew that Herod, what is he going to do next? They knew the, the rampages. They knew uh, what a tyrant he was. They knew, uh, you know... What in the world is this guy going to do now? So they were troubled because he was troubled because they had to walk on eggshells around him. You ever been around people where you sort of got to walk on eggshells around them? If you do, get away from them. If you're married to them, help. <laughs> See, people remember how you make them feel. And all of Jerusalem was terrified. Augustus said this about Herod. He said it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. 
Think about the impact you have on people. Think about the impact you have on your sons and daughters. Think about the impact you have, many of you perhaps, on your grandkids. Oh yeah, let's talk about Herod's kids for just a moment. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Herod's son killed John the Baptist. Herod's grandson killed James, the brother of John, in Acts chapter 12. So you see that this thing, this, this disturbing, deceptive, destructive nature is passed on. Here, here's, the, here's the beautiful thing about parenting is that they get the good side. I mean, when well, I was chilling out one night at home and, and um, my daughter walked in the room and I started talking to her to like, She's my wife because she looks just like her. I mean, they are like spitting in. I, I literally thought it was, it was terror. See, the good part of that is, is they get all of our good traits. Yeah. But the bad part about it is they get all of our bad stuff. We pass things on. And they, he passed on this same element of this sort of destructive nature to them. funny about his grandson you think pride doesn't catch up with you and then he in Acts chapter 12 it tells a story about revivals happening and and, and after after they struck down uh, after they killed James and he listen this is how wicked the grandson was he loved the what it did to the people and how it showed favor for him that he killed James so he arrested Peter I mean, he was strictly doing this for political gain, for popularity, so that his name would be cheered. I mean, wicked. So later on in Acts chapter 12, he, he, he stands up on a platform, gives this great, incredible speech. You can read it for yourself in Acts 12. Sits down after giving the speech on his throne, the Bible says, and guess what? The people begin to shout the voice of a God and not of a man. Now, it, it, it's not my responsibility what you go home and say about me today. You may go home and say, don't ever have that dude back. That's fine. But it is my responsibility for how I handle what you say about me. And what happened to, to Herod, the grandson, is he probably sitting up on that throne. He's like, the voice of a God, not of a man. That sounds pretty good. I am. Look at all that we've built. I am a God. I am in control. Spirit of God says, I mean, the word of God says that in that time, the angel of the Lord struck him down. One of the things we lost, friends, in the church is we've, we've, we've lost a healthy fear of the Lord. I love speaking about his grace and there is no room for not talking about God's grace, but there's a healthy fear of the Lord that we as the people of God should walk in. Amen. And maybe you're just wondering, oh, this is great, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad that you came to shed the wonderful joy of Christmas. <laughs> All right, talking about Herod, talking about murder, talking about manipulation, talking about death, talking about pride, talking about passing on all your negative traits, all those things. And you might be wondering, you know, I understand that, what, what can I glean, right? So I sort of, I sort of laid uh, the foundation of what, what happened 
in the Christmas story with this wicked guy by the name of Herod. But you might be wondering, how, how do several generations of Herod's story and their massive temper tantrums have anything to do with me today? I'm not going to go home and commit murder. I'm not going out to, I'm not doing all that stuff. My, yes, I deal with elements of pride, but, but I'm not, it's not bubbling over to that degree. Two things. I'm going to give you a big picture and a small picture, okay? Big picture is going to be real quick, okay? Because I, I'm just sort of, since it happened, I'm, I've been sort of uh, consumed with it in a way. And so that's one of the reasons why I talked through the book of Esther the last six weeks or so at our church since October the 7th. October the 7th was the day that Hamas entered into uh, Gaza and annihilated. The Bible's real. I mean, it's real. Annihilated God's people. Annihilated people. I mean, it wasn't just Jews. It was from all across the globe. Didn't matter. You know the atrocities that happened on that day. And here's the reality. Here's the big picture. Here's the big picture about Herod. Is Herod was just another in a long line of vessels that the enemy of our souls uses to attempt to, to, to kill the seed or the life of God. And since Genesis 3.15, mark that down, go read it for yourself. Genesis 3.15, all throughout Scripture to present day until one day when Jesus puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, the enemy of our souls is going to try to wipe out and annihilate the people of God. It's just going to happen. And the thing that has built my faith so much, because I've been looking at this, and, and especially with, with Esther, is that, man, you just can't do it. This little plot of land in Jerusalem, surrounded by its entire history, by enemies, can't defeat them. Can't beat them. Because I'm telling you, the sovereign king of the universe says that I don't sleep nor slumber. And I'm going to take care of my people. The promise of Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Why do we want to be a blessing to Israel? Why do we want to pray for Israel? Why do we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Listen, friends, because blessing to the people of God happens when we pray for God's people. And guess what the good news is? The good news is that we've been grafted in as Gentiles and we are God's people. So whatever is happening in your life, big or small, guess what? It has to pass through his hand first. It has to pass through. So you can walk through this life incredibly courageous and bold, knowing that God's got you. The one who never, never sleeps nor slumbers. But then there's a smaller element to this. There's an element where this moment sort of approaches or, or inter it, there's an exchange with us in this moment as well. And it's hard for us to sit in the room perhaps. I don't know you. I don't know anybody in this room. So if anything has struck a chord, I don't know anyone here. That's the good news. At church sometimes back home, you have to be like, oh, I know about that. You know, you're just like always whoosh, thinking through all that kind of stuff. But anyway, the reality is that say I want to put this. We have a little bit of Herod in us. 
I have a little bit of Herod in me. And you have a little bit of Herod in you. And the reality is, is that how, what are we going to do with it? What, what am I going to do with that little bit of Herod left in me? Because, listen I, listen, I get it. I get it. We are saved. We are full of God's Spirit. We are, right? Everybody follow me? We are saints. He sees us as we're going to be. He sees us as redeemed, as chosen, accepted, and all of those things. But there, there's also this side, this element where I can still choose to walk in my old man. I can still allow the little Herod to rear his ugly head in my life. And listen, what we see through this, and we see the attack, we see the goal all throughout the scriptures is that the enemy desire for pride that it destroys the life of God. See, Herod's goal was to destroy the life of God. He, he, didn't, he didn't understand the ramifications of that in the moment, but he was just a tool that the enemy was using in the moment to attempt to destroy the life of God. There are things that are going on in your life right now. There are pressure points. There are things happening. There are challenges. There are whatever the case may be where, where you're sort of having to choose whether or not you're going to walk in little Herod or the King of Kings. And which chair are we going to be sitting on, right? Which, which, which kingdom do we want to live in? What we would really see, not only in the book of Esther, what we see in this story is we see the difference between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, where, where the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what happens in this story is that we see what life looks like when there are two kings. And we know that there's a little Herod in us that still daily fights for sovereignty, that still daily fights for control in our lives. It didn't even really hit me fully till just this week that, man, the anxiety that I oftentimes feel, the agitation, the, the, the fear that oftentimes envelops me over situations in my life, and it does probably you as well, that that thing is actually rooted in pride. It's actually an attempt for me to believe that I am somehow in control of my life. I can, something can happen to me in a way. I mean, I am in no more control of my life. But, but the agitation comes into play when I begin to believe that I am. And then guess what happens? When I begin to be disturbed, I begin to manipulate and control situations in my life for my favor. I've never done that, of course. You've never done that, right? We're talking to people out there. And it causes destruction in our life. It causes destruction in relationships. It causes destruction in churches. It causes destruction in families. It causes destruction in workplaces. Everywhere we go, why? Because there's a little bit of Herod in us, and every time we feed it, it grows, and it intensifies, and then we have to do things continually to keep it alive. You follow me? I want the worship leader go ahead and come back up. And here's the thing, there's really only one thing that we can do. There's really only one thing we can do when there's two kings. I love what Tim Keller says in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says this, one of them has to give in. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm going to tell you, friends, listen, I'm not a theologian by any stretch of imagination, but one of the things that I know to be true is that the King of Kings is not the one that's supposed to give in. He's triumphant. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here's the reality, friends. Listen, this little Herod, this little Herod in us is the one that is supposed to live in a place of surrender. I mean, to live there. That's why Paul says, I die daily. It's why Paul uh, just continually says, I must, or John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he must. In-. I, mean, I mean, we must be people because what? First Peter also says this about the enemy. Mentions, I think, in actually, maybe it's James 4. I can't remember off the top of my head. But, but the God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let me give you a story. About five years ago, just minding my own business, I was in full control of my day. Master of the universe, right? Everything was going wonderful. I pulled through Wendy's. Pulled through Wendy's. Not Chick-fil-A, but Wendy's. And it was near our house, so I took my wife something, and I ran through town with doing a couple things. And I remember turning left on the Bascom Norris, right in front of a gym at the time. And I remember turning left, and I thought for a moment my life flashed before my eyes. Not like you saying, not another car coming. In a matter of seconds, before, in a blink of an eye, I had six to eight cop cars on my truck. I'm not kidding. And, when, and by the time I looked in the mirror, and you, I, I, listen, I, I fully understand that pastor, or people exaggerate. I'm not exaggerating, okay? And when I looked in the rear view mirror, just like on the movies, just like on Blue Bloods, they had the door hinged, they were down, and they had their guns drawn at me. I'm not kidding. My aunt's in the procession there. She's in the traffic that got busted. That stopped all watching me go through this. And she's calling my dad. Like, Chris is getting arrested. What in the world's going on? <laughs> Listen, I don't have a record or anything like that. Anyway, make a long story short. I was in full control of my day. But in that moment, I was not in control. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, friends, listen, if I didn't live a life of surrender in that moment, I would have died. And I'll be honest with you, I probably should have. This, this, this guy had, had uh, robbed or with a gunpoint at Wendy's. Come to find the story. But my truck sort of matched the description. I had heavy tinted windows. So they saw me and, and they pulled me over, all of them. And it was right around the time where a lot of stuff was going on with cops and God bless cops. But in that moment, I was in a predicament because if I didn't live surrendered, huh, I wouldn't have made it. So here's what happened. They said, put your hands out the window. I'm gonna follow instructions, friend. I put my hands out the window. They said, open the door from the outside, not from the inside, because they could have thought I was reaching for something. So guess what? I didn't open from the inside. I opened from the outside. They said, get out of the car, put your hands behind your back. Well, I did, up, up high. They said, take two steps to the left. I didn't take three. <laughs> 
I took two. They said, walk backly towards my voice. I took steps and I just walked backly towards their voice. They said, put your hands behind your back. They cuffed me. Listen, I never, listen, I, I'm a sinner like everybody else, but I've never really been in any trouble. You know what I'm talking about? And so I'm like, what in the world is happening? What did I do? Did I, you know, anyway, they, they cuffed me right there. They said, get on your knees. I said, I can't. I really could. I was wearing a knee brace. That's the only time I resisted because I was about to have knee surgery. And so, and they said, okay. And so they did their thing. Checked out my truck. I looked around. There was a guy behind me that I went to school with. I said, dude, what is going on? You know me. He's like, just be patient. But see, if I would have lived in that moment as though I was in control, as though they were a rival of mine, like Herod, it would have ended badly for me on that day. But I had to listen to the voice of the one who was really in charge. And let me tell you something, friends. I don't know if you've ever had guns pointed at you before, and I hope you haven't, I hope you don't ever. It is a terrifying experience. And they just said, all right, have a good day. I was like, what? Can I at least have a change of pants or something? Right? I mean, come on. And then I just like went about my day and I had to call Terry. I was like, you won't believe what just happened to me. And I, I'll never forget that moment that God used to help remind me that I'm not in control. And then I need to listen to his voice. And then the only way that we can really eradicate, eradicate having two Herods or two kings in our life is that I've got to live. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I've got to live a life of surrender. Not just on Sundays. Can I just be honest with you? It's easy in here. It's really easy. I mean, these guys are great. They make it really easy for us to come and to preach and proclaim. And I mean, the intercessors are praying. I mean, you are walking into an environment that is like, like ready to receive from God. And you're about to walk out into an environment that is not ready to receive from God. And the moment that you walk out of here, that little Herod on the inside of you is going to begin to walk to try to raise his ugly head again. And we've got to continue to be people that live surrendered. So maybe you're here today and you, you've never fully surrendered your life to Christ. I'm not talking about saying the right things. Herod said the right things. Simon said the right things. We can say the right things and still on the inside of us, we are far from God because we are really, really good as church people to say the right thing, to do the right thing, to show up on Sunday, but our hearts are far from God. And you can fool me and that's great. And you can fool the person next to you, but you, listen, we are not going, one of the biggest myths in the body of Christ or really just across the globe is that we somehow think that we can hide or run away from God. David said, where can I go from his presence? If I go 
to the heights, he's there. If I go to the valley of Sheol, he's there. Wherever I go, he is. Wherever you go, he is. And listen, we're going to be people that live lives of surrender to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords because he really is the only one who is worthy. So listen, the prayer team will be down front. Now I get it. I totally get it. Nobody wants to come to the altar on a Sunday where you're talking about King Herod. But I'm going to be quite honest with you. I have Herod in me. And you've got a little bit of Herod in you. And the only way that's going to be dealt with in our life and in my life is through an act of surrender. So the prayer team will be down front. Maybe there's something else happening in your life. We're not going to belittle it. Or, or prolong it. Maybe you have surgery coming up. Maybe you got health challenges. Maybe it's just Christmas. And you know what? Someone that was here last Christmas is not going to be here this Christmas. And you're like, you're just, you're, you're just grieved. You need the body of Christ to encourage you in prayer. Listen, the altar's open. Let's just, my brother's going to sing. And let's just worship. And let's just see what the Lord does. Father, we just surrender. If you need prayer, just come down. For anything. If you just want to come to the altar, just once again, just surrender. Father, would you just make us more like you? Father, we know that in environments like this, Lord, our hearts are just molded and 
as it is, I believe, in Jeremiah 18, where we are the clay and you are the potter. You're just shaping, you're molding, you're working. And the beauty of that moment is that you're, the potter would actually find a, a hard spot or a rough spot that would be worked, worked out, and they would just work that out. God, thank you, Lord, that you don't just throw us away. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just throw us away. You keep working on us. You're never, ever, ever, ever finished with us. Listen, listen, friends. Without a shadow of a doubt, if Herod at the end of his life would have turned, returned and repented, God would have said, there's no, no element of sin. There's nothing you've done in your life that can keep you or keep me from God's grace in our life. Father, we just declare our need for you, Jesus. We pray for your comfort this holiday season, Lord God. God, we know that in the natural, Lord, that the holidays are a a, a, a time of agitation sometimes, a time of anxiety, a time of family, a time of getting together. It can be, it can be challenging for some and joyful for some. Like I said, there, there, there's people maybe at the table that wasn't, won't be here this Christmas. Holy Spirit, would you release your comfort? Would you release your peace? God, I pray that your joy would overwhelm us as your people, Jesus. And God, as we close, I just pray, that, Lord, that you would help us to leave here this morning, God, living a life of humility. You came and was born in a, in a stall, not a palace. It just set the stage that you continue to show us what a life of humility looks like. So much so that your word says that for the joy that was set before him, you endured the cross. You are always thinking about others. So God, I pray God that you'd help us to leave here, Lord, thinking about others. We bless you. We love you. God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. You guys are released. God bless you.